0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio
1: Podcast.
0: Um, this whole idea of the end times is one that creates all kinds of emotions for us. I remember when I was in middle school, I, uh, I came across a tract. Some of you remember what those are? Little booklets, you know, they're just small things. And, um, and it was about the end times. And so I'm reading through it, and, you know, it, was, it, it had, you know, it was cartoon type of characters and writing and stuff, but it was it was it was written for adults, but it was it was it just had that kind of appearance to it. And you know they laid out the case very well. You know you, they're citing Bible references and all the different things as to justify their position as to when the end's going to come. Now, in their, the way they laid this out they said that Jesus has to return by 1978. So I'm just dating myself. first. You know, I was in middle school prior to that. But here, So I'm reading this, and it says by 1978, Jesus has to come, and it's 1975. So I'm a middle school kid realizing I've got three years. I was scared spitless. It just, it freaked me out that this is all going to be happening in such a short period of time. And Obviously, the writers of that tract were wrong. It didn't, it didn't happen. And here's the thing. They were not the first people to actually predict when Jesus was going to return, nor were they the last. You know, it's, it's interesting. I uh, Just out of curiosity, I went on Amazon in their books section and just did a search for the rapture. Over 5,000 titles came back and returned. Here's what got me. 164 of them were released in the last 90 days. Think about that. So we're talking literally almost two books a day are coming out with this, dealing with this topic. So there has been and there continues to be a fascination for the end times, what this is going to look like and how the world will come to an end. And this fascination has led... To endless speculation and stirred confusion in a lot of people, and if like my middle school self, brought a lot of anxiety and fear as to what this is actually going to look like. So we're going to start, you know, the four start today. In the next three three weeks beyond this, we'll be looking at this idea. We've entitled this series called "The End," and we're going to explore the from the biblical perspective. What does this look like? Now. I have to confess, in my 30-plus years of um, pastoral ministry, I have never preached a sermon about the end times. Never. There's so much mystery... Yet, yet, yet. And I thank you for that. There's so much mystery surrounding all of this and so much speculation. I've just never felt comfortable taking it on. You know, if, if I'm really honest... It's just a weird topic. It just just is. Now, having said that, I love the fact that we're part of a group, we're part of a church that isn't afraid to take on the difficult topics, the weird topics, if they're relevant to what the Bible tells us. And as, as followers of Christ, this is the Bible is to help us live our life, not just for the future, not just the end, but also today. And I am thrilled with the fact that we're part of a church that isn't afraid to ad- attack, that's not the right word, attempt to actually address some of those issues. So, and if you don't know this already, all three campuses are on the same sermon series. So we get together and plot out the topics, and so I'm not doing this alone, um, so if if it ends up being good, it, you can give me credit. If it's bad, it's probably feral. It's his fault that did it. Isn't. So, but uh, I'm just kidding. That's recording right now, isn't it? So uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. So if I'm not here next week, you'll know why. But uh, I'm just I'm just having fun. And it's it's always our case. Our attempt is not to advocate for a specific position. But what does the Bible say, and how are we to think about certain topics like this? So because we have a desire to know the future, we tend to give more attention to those things that we don't know about the end times, as opposed to giving encouragement to Christ followers about the things that we do know. And so what we do know are a number of things that we're going to look at today. We can be confident that Jesus Christ is returning for his church. The Bible is very clear on that. There are five times more prophecies related to the second coming of Jesus than to his initial coming as a baby in Bethlehem. We don't know the timing of this event. Jesus said that even he did not know the day or the time. But what we do know is that we can live with hope. Even expectation that his coming again is a very good thing. Our passage for this morning actually comes out of one of Paul's letters. His letter, to, his first letter to the the group in Thessalonica. So, First Thessalonians, chapter four, and verses thirteen to eighteen. And I'm going to read it, and actually, it's on the screen, so we can uh, we can read it together. Brother, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, Father, that uh, you do give us some insight as to how things will end and, and how we are to think about the future. So, Lord, I ask that you would allow me the ability to speak with some clarity today. I, Lord, I ask, Lord, for your spirit to speak to hearts, whatever needs to be heard to this day as well. And so, Father, for the next few minutes, we commit them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, talks about we have hope specifically that, that, that we will be with the Lord forever. So what is the basis of our hope? How are we to think about that? Well, there's a few things that this passage gives us some very specific clarity on. One is that the re, it talks about the return. Jesus will come again. Jesus came the first time as a sacrificial lamb to, be, to bring redemption for all humanity. He came as a baby. In his second coming, he will come as a reigning king, the triumphant Savior. Jesus himself promised to come again. In John chapter 14, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So even in his own words, while he was still walking with his apostles, while his, with his disciples, said, I am coming back. Now, you have to remember that the time period in which this letter was written, the time period, not just this letter to Thessalonians, but also John's Revelation, the first century, you have to remember that these people were under Roman rule. It was not a good time to be alive as a Christian. A lot of persecution, a lot of trouble. The Roman emperors perceived themselves to be gods. And they created this idea of literally emperor worship, where you had to bow down and worship the emperor. Well, for Christians who believe that there's only one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ, we're in conflict with this. And so they refused to bow down. And so this was perceived not as a religious issue, but as a political issue. So the Christians were actually guilty of treason. It wasn't that they, they didn't have the same religion. They were treasonous. They were enemies of the state of Rome. And so they then were put on trial, were persecuted, and many were put to death. What sustained the early Christians was the hope that Jesus would return soon and remove them from the oppression. A common Aramaic greeting at the time was Maranatha. Now, how you actually pronounce it is actually made up of two words, which means the Lord is coming, or come, O Lord. But the idea that there was this expectation, anticipation, within the early church followers that this was going to happen. And this is what we're looking forward to. The early church believed that the return of Jesus was imminent. Any day that he was coming back, that was their expectation. Now, here's the thing. The fact that 2,000 years have passed does not diminish our expectation that Jesus will one day return. As followers of Jesus, this expectation remains our sacred hope. So, we have uh, our hope is in the return of Jesus. Our hope is also in the idea of the rapture. Living Christians are taken away. The word rapture, ironically, does not actually occur in the Bible. It's the word that we've come up with to to describe an event that's going to be happening. The word itself means to be carried off, to be taken away, or to be rescued. Now, there's there's a good bit of biblical clarity about what will happen. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, After that, in chapter 4, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. we just read that passage a little bit ago, so there's, there's a good bit of clarity there, but even in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking, and he he's gives this scenario where two men will be in the field, one will be taken the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, <coughs> excuse me, one will be taken the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So there is, there's a good bit of clarity as to what this will look like and what this is about. There's a lot less clarity as to as this idea of when it will happen. And I'm not just talking about predicting the date, as I just described earlier, um, but rather where this, occur, this happens in the sequence of things. Because any conversation about the rapture also includes a conversation about what is known as the tribulation. It's a seven-year period of time where there's wars and famines and disease and uh, what else was going on, natural disasters. It's just it's a it's a very harsh time for all the for all of humanity. So when Jesus um, and Jesus himself actually talks about this in, in Matthew 24. There, so when it, when talking about the rapture and the tribulation, there's three basic positions. One is that Jesus will return and the Christians will be raptured before the tribulation. This is the position known as pre-tribulation. Then there's others who believe that Jesus will come, and the Christians will be raptured in the middle of the tribulation. And that's called mid-tribulation. Okay? And then there's people who believe that Jesus will return and Christians will be raptured post-tribulation. So their position is they're post-tribs, okay? So you have, you have a pre-tribs. We, we shorten it, those of us in the, the field. Pre-tribs, mid-tribs, and post-tribs, okay? It's kind of how you, this plays out. Now, there's also a fourth position. You guys know what it is? Pre-rat. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's another conversation, but pan-tribs. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> 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 That's that's where I, that's, that's kind of where I land. So I I don't know. I'll I'll be honest with you. The Reason why there's so much debate about this is because the Bible doesn't give us very clarity. In fact, there's a biblical you can make a biblical case for all three positions. Okay, so all three positions have some biblical evidence to them. So one of the verses that suggests a pre-trib rapture, and this is this tends to be where we'll well, and uh, not so much because we're saying this is the only way to understand it. It's because it helps us prepare ahead of time. You know what I mean? Sometimes you think it's going to be at this, and you're waiting. Um, so we're going to take more of a pre-trib position as we talk about this. But in First Thessalonians chapter five, so it's just shortly after the, the verse we read earlier. Um, it says, "For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." The context is about the end. So the idea here is that we're not going to suffer wrath, but that we will actually be, have, receive salvation, essentially raptured up. So, see, there again, you've still got to make a little bit of a leap to get there. So there's, it, there's some hints, but there's not a whole lot of explicit terminology there. When it does come to the rapture, you can be skeptical, skeptical of any perspective that's, that they have the idea as to when it will occur. Anyone comes out with a date and time as and this one's going to be, you can immediately discredit it. Some people I'm mean, interested just to hear what they have to say, but Jesus literally said, "Even I don't know, and only the Father knows. No one knows." The Bible does give us great certainty, however, that it will in fact occur. So the question isn't the question we're trying to address isn't the fact of will it occur, it's the fact that it will even if we don't know when. Our hope rests in the return of Jesus, the rapture of Christ's followers, and our hope also rests, number three, the reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 4, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. We will be with the Lord forever. When I was, uh, some years ago, I was um, talking to a friend, we were living in Minnesota at the time, and I was talking with uh, a co-worker where I was at, and he was probably in his, maybe turned 30, so he's in that age range, and we're talking about spiritual things and about, you know, what happens when we die, and, and he knew I was a pastor, and so, but there was a really great conversation, really open and, and honest conversation about things, and he made a statement that I thought was fascinating. He said, people of my generation keep so busy so we don't have to think about things like that. I, whether that's broadly, it can be uh, generalized, I don't know, but it was certainly insightful self-awareness on his part. And I think that's true for many people. We're fixated on the here and now and give little thought to what happens to us after death. And let's be honest. Thinking about life after death is kind of scary, isn't it? It's an unknown. It's an unknown. And yet, each of us has eternity in front of us. Each of us will face the idea of eternity. For those of us... Or, I'm sorry, for those who do not know Jesus... We keep busy and we don't think about it. <clears throat> or do we, t- we try to find peace in rational thought? Or we try to find peace in other religious ideas? Here's the thing. Christianity is the only faith which points to death with joy, hope, and even expectation. As believers, we have the blessed hope of spending eternity in God's presence and enjoying the fullness of the plans he has for us. So, that being the case, because the end is coming, how should we then live? Those of you who are Francis Schaeffer fans, but uh, we should be living with expectancy. Matthew 24 again says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In this chapter of Matthew, um, the, this 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus speaks of the signs of when the end times will come, the events that will happen on, on the earth. And again, I mentioned that this idea of wars and famines and natural disasters. And, but he says these are just the beginnings of the end. He said these are kind of like the beginning of birth pangs. Then he references the idea of uh, the days of Noah. You know, we see that, again, that's kind of an allusion to, the, if you remember the story of Noah, about the immorality and evil that was existent and prevalent at that time period. And then he also references the idea of false prophets that will be prevalent. But then in verse 14, he says this, The gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Now, there's some who would say, well, that just means that someone just has to hear the gospel. There's others who would say, no, that means that there has to be a Christian presence in every people group on earth. And that is a a term people group that we're looking at. And there is when we're looking at this idea of missions, about taking the gospel to people who haven't yet heard it, there is a great emphasis on going to those groups who do not yet have a Christian presence. And as opposed to, so in other words... Which is easier, if someone were to come from Korea to share Jesus in Statesville, would a person in Statesville hear them better from uh, North Korean, or they hear it better from someone who actually lives here, someone who's one of them? They, who do you think would hear, who they would understand have that conversation better with? Typically from Statesville. Because they're, they're, there's a cultural identity, there's, there's, a, there's no language barriers, and it's just a much easier transition. It's the same thing when we go overseas somewhere, or we want to take the gospel somewhere, the idea that it's better to have, or more effective, let me put it that way, it's more effective strategically to have local people sharing the gospel with others because of the various things. So... The idea of wanting to reach those unreached peoples where there is no Christian presence and establishing a Christian presence there so that they can share the gospel in their own language, in their own culture, with their own understanding. They don't have to raise six-figure budgets of support to get over there and all these other kinds of things. So here's the thing. There's only a couple thousand. Let me say it this way. We know who all the unreached people groups are. We know today all the research, all the demographic, we can tell you not just who they are, but where they're at. We, we know it. There's only there's a couple thousand left. So the idea of us, there's uh, how many millions of Christians in the world today, being able to identify and pinpoint the unreached people groups and reaching them and actually going to them as missionaries, but establishing disciples there that they then can become the Christian present in the community. The idea that we could finish the evangelization of the world it's well within our reach. It's well within our reach. So what's my point? There's nothing in chapter 24 that is holding Jesus from coming back. Everything that's in there as to what you will see, we could point to and say, yeah, 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 yeah. So Jesus could return tomorrow. Tomorrow. There's nothing in there that would prevent that from happening. So we have this idea of expectancy. Um, Dave, I'm going to ask you if you'll come up this time. Uh, Dave shared with me just uh, in his own prayer time, just he was impressed that the Lord was sharing something with him that he believed was for all of us. And so instead of just him kind of taking and sharing, he actually, um, I've asked him if he would just be willing to share it with all of you. Try it again.
1: There we go. Okay. Um, How many of us believe that, that we can come into the Lord's presence individually? Okay. I mean, it's not like when in the Old Testament, Moses went up. He was in the presence of God, but he was the only one, and everybody else just listened to him. So my prayer time, sometimes the Lord just speaks to me words and then expands upon that. And he gave me these words. He said, praise, passion, presence, purpose, and power. And I thought about it, and I said, Lord, I, can you explain it to me? And this is what I felt he said to me. I'm calling forth the people. Of my presence in this hour, those who are thirsting for more of me, I will join your hearts with those of like mind, and as you join together in prayer and worship and intercession, I will pour out my spirit in greater measure, and you will be filled to overflowing. You will become my inner room warriors. In that place, you will receive a revelation and wisdom for my plans and purposes. So prepare your hearts for what is about to take place. For my glory is coming in like a flood. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Live with expectancy.
0: Live with expectancy. Live with urgency. And then lastly, we should live with hope. Oh, I'm sorry. Live with urgency. Live with expectancy. Live with urgency. John 4, um, Jesus is again talking. He says, don't you ever say that it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Every day that goes by puts us that much closer to the return of Jesus. Because we do not know the day or the hour, we need to act as if Jesus could come back sooner rather than later. Here's the reality. As we get older and this is more delayed, we kind of take our foot off the gas pedal in as far as a sense of urgency. Uh, You know, and that's just kind of human nature. It becomes less urgent for us to think that way. And that's a mistake. Living with a sense of urgency, though, does not exclude us from living with a sense of purpose. In other words, it's right that we plan and prepare for the future. You know, sometimes you've heard some people say, we're going to sell everything. We're going to go wait on this mountaintop for Jesus to come back. That, that just, that's just so unbiblical. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that. We see just the opposite. Jesus talks about the end times, um, but then in Matthew 24, immediately in chapter 25, he starts talking about the parable of the ten bridesmaids. There's ten of them. And five of them have brought extra oil with them for their lamp. Five of them do not. And the, the groom is delayed. And as the story unfolds, the other five ran out of oil and had to go and try and buy some more. And while they were gone, the groom comes and takes the bridal party away. And the five who weren't prepared are left out of the celebration. The five bridesmaids acted as if the groom was coming at any moment. The wise bridesmaid did. They acted as if he was coming at any moment. They prepared as if he was going to be delayed. Some have this mindset, by taking the time to prepare, we are exercising less faith. I believe the opposite to be true. I think because we have faith, we, can do all, we should do all we can to make the best preparations possible. So, live with expectancy, live with urgency, and lastly, we should live with hope. 1 Corinthians, Paul again is talking. He says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. <clears throat> for Christ followers, death is not the end. Nor is death merely the marker for a new chapter of existence. We're not going to be reincarnated. The Bible doesn't talk about that at all. For the Christ follower, the death of our physical body marks Or means that we are we get to be with Jesus forever, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. The death of our physical body initiates our ultimate hope, eternity with Jesus. Let's pray, Father. um, As we think about what is to come, I'm sure a lot of our minds run in a lot of different directions. Lord, it's it's important that we do keep in mind the fact that uh, w- your word does guarantee us a few things, that we are going to be with you forever. Lord, that this is something that we can have hope and expectation, even joy, as we wait for that blessed day. So, Lord, I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here this morning that has any fear and anxiety, that they, that would be replaced by your gentle touch, Lord, even now, that they would sense a peace and a calm Lord, in its place would be a sense of joy and even expectation, even almost as if they're waiting for a long awaited vacation um, because they realize the what is on the other side. We do not have to fear that transition. Father, if there's any here this morning who don't know you or who are uncertain about that, I ask, Father, that they would have the wherewithal to com- submit their life to you, even right now, even this day that they would submit their life to you and put their hope and faith and trust in you. Father, our desire is not just that we spend eternity with you, but that we live out our remaining days in ways that would value and in ways, Lord God, that would um, honor you and all that we say and all that we do. So, Father, I ask for, for guidance, for wisdom, discernment, for courage and strength, Lord God, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name I ask all these things.